everybody. Welcome to episode 151 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this will be the first episode in which I cover the Adventures of Superboy television show. Starting with this episode, I will be alternating coverage of Ruby Spears with Superboy since the shows do overlap until we run out of Ruby Spears episodes with episode 13. And this week, I'm going to cover the first two episodes of uh, Superboy. The Jewel of Techakal, and A Kinda Princess. A little bit about the series. This was a half-hour live-action television series, which was based on uh, Kal-El's early years as uh, Superboy, which really no live-action Superman had ever actually been Superboy. But the this is, uh, for those of you who remember back when, I, when we covered Supergirl, I uh, called Supergirl like the first uh, instance of the... Uh, it's all kind of trying to squeeze money out of the franchise. This would be the last. And for the most part, one of the more successful things the Saw Kinds have done since the uh, Reeve movies. I mean, the show is uh, maligned in its uh, with its first season. And uh, I really don't know a lot about the second season, but it really hit its stride when uh, in seasons three and four. This show ran for four seasons from 1998 until 1992 in syndication. John Haynes Newton played Superboy in the first season, and Gerard Christopher replaces him for the second, third, and fourth. This series kind of uh, overlapped with some of the uh, 50th anniversary uh, Superman celebrations, and rather amusingly came out about two years after uh, John Byrne's uh, Man of Steel reboot uh, pretty much uh, kicked Superboy out of continuity. This show tells uh, the story of Clark Kent in college at Schuster University, and it's in Siegelville, Florida, which I don't believe the first two episodes have uh, announced. But So that is obviously a reference to both Jerry Siegel and uh, Joe Schuster, the creator of Superman. And the show was filmed in Orlando, one of the uh, first weekly TV shows to be, to be produced at the uh, then Disney MGM Studios. However, from seasons two to four, the show did move down uh, to Universal Studios, Florida. The action uh, pretty much how Superman... The way Superman stories uh, are centered around the Daily Planet, much of the action uh, follows Clark and uh, T.J. White as they report for the college newspaper, the Schuster Herald. All of the uh, main uh, exterior shots of Schuster University are from the main campus of the University of Central Florida, and Siegelville is kind of depicted as a coastal uh, Florida city. The uh, series was originally uh, distributed in the U.S. by Viacom, which also had the rights at that time to the third and fourth Superman movies as well as Supergirl. International TV rights and worldwide home video rights are now with Warner Brothers, who has uh, since released uh, all four seasons on DVD. And if you want to watch along and you are a, a subscriber to the DC Universe uh, streaming service, you can find all four seasons there. And that's pretty much uh, where I am going to be uh, watching the series for the duration of uh, my coverage. And all right, the uh, last uh, thing I want to discuss is the cast. Like I mentioned before, uh, John Hames Newton plays the role of uh, Superboy and Clark Kent for this first season. I have little to say about uh, Newton's portrayal as I'm largely unfamiliar with it. I'll get more familiar with it as I cover the uh, the series. Uh, point of note, I have never seen season... Well, let me rephrase that. I've seen a few episodes of season one a few years ago when I tried to start watching the series. I think I made it through like episode nine or something before I kind of uh, tapered off and uh, something else caught my eye. So I know a little bit about what to expect in season one, the kind of uh, cheesy low budget fare we're going to see in season one uh, that will change with the uh, third and the and fourth uh, seasons. John Hames Newton, uh, like I said, only is Superboy for this one season. There were rumors that he got fired for getting a DWI. He has denied that on an episode of Radio KAL with a, uh, Steve Eunice, I'm not, I don't remember who the co-host was when uh, that interview was done, so I apologize if it was Neil Bailey, Scotty V, or Mike Bailey. I, The memory is escaping me. I want to say it was Mike, but I'm not sure. But, uh, so there's that, and I'll talk more about him as the, as we go on. Lotta Lang uh, was played by Stacey Heiduk, I think her, her name was pronounced, Heiduk. Heidek is one of my favorite Lana Langs, along with uh, Annette O'Toole, who we all gushed over when we covered Superman 3, but Heidek seems to play a more true to the comics Lana Lang, you know, she's always, uh, the, at least to the Superboy comics, trying to 
chased around Superboy's identity. Granted, it's not in high school, but they moved Lana to college with Clark. So there is that. Jim Calvert plays T.J. White. He is a character created for the show. He is the son of Perry White. I don't know if it's explicitly stated anywhere in the show, but his name is T.J. White, and he's introduced as the editor of the Daily Planet of Metropolis. You can do the math for yourself. And uh, Scott Wells plays Lex Luthor. The uh, less said about him in these first couple of, in this first episode, the better. This is not going to go down in history as anybody's favorite portrayal of uh, Lex Luthor. While I do like what Sherman Howard did with the Lex Luthor role in, at the very least, seasons three and four, I don't have much use for what Scott Wells has done. So that's pretty much some brief background on the Superboy TV series. Before I get into this week's coverage, I have feedback to address. This first bit of feedback is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen episode 140. And Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. There were some good stories here, but some of the situations are old chestnuts that are wearing a little thin. Stealing the hero's superpowers, villains teaming up, then double-crossing each other leading to their defeat. Mixie has Piddle in his magic mischief, only to be defeated by saying his name backwards. An adventure with the Wonder Twins. At least by this time, they got to work with Robin and Firestorm, with the heroes being shrunk. You'd think by now the standard training for Super Friends would include fighting villains while shrunken, or when the villains are giants. The stories were well done, I think, but would have been better if they hadn't relied so much on well-worn situations. I know it's a kid's cartoon show, though many of the viewers wouldn't have been as jaded as older viewers. At least they included some newer elements like Darkseid, Luthor's battle suit, which had first appeared, along with the robotic-looking Brainiac, in Action Comics number 544 in 1983. And Firestorm, who'd been around in the comics since 1978, was still very new to animation. I think those things certainly added more visual excitement to the show, so it does seem that they were trying to freshen things up with the Super Friends. I should probably be more tolerant, especially since my own beloved Silver Age stories often use the same plot devices and tropes until they drove them into the ground. I do enjoy your coverage of these stories, and they're not as bad as I seem to be making them, though. Live long and prosper, Dave. Yeah, I think uh, that's a fair point. They're not as uh, bad as Dave is making them seem. Yeah, he, but Dave is not wrong. The, these uh, the Super Friends trope, especially when you, once you get into season eight, they do wear thin. I mean, how many times is somebody's superpowers gonna get stolen? How many times do we have to tolerate Mixie's Pedalic? And there's only one way to defeat him. It's not until the post crisis that they started, you know, making uh, allowing Mixie's Pedalic to kind of change the rules. Of his defeat. So think of all those times. All I had to do was get him to say his name backwards. And yeah, they went to the heroes being shrunk well. Far too much. I think the villains were only giant once in uh, Giants of Doom. So, But I guess if you're shrunk, the villains appear to be giants. But again, Dave's right there. The tropes are well worn. Especially we're into season 8 at that point. With uh, the legendary superpowers show. Still, despite that, that is one of the best seasons of the Super Friends. So... I really don't have anything else on uh, Dave's uh, letter here. The next bit of feedback I have is from Jack Bone. And the subject is Legendary 3 and 4. And Jack writes, No honor among thieves. I'm afraid I'm going to look on this series through the knowledge of the tie-in toy line associated with it. Luthor is working on L Island, which might make a cool playset. We see it again next episode, but it's shorn of the buildings. One question about Lex's powers. Wouldn't he still be as strong as Wonder Woman? Or does being sick and kryptonite poisoning leave you feeling like not doing much of anything? Why didn't he use Firestorm's element changing powers? Collecting the heroes whose power to steal seemed mostly potluck. I'm sure he would have insisted on Superman. It would have been interesting if he wasn't sure what powers Firestorm had. And might tie into him watching Captain Mystery in the next episode. Still a fun story. Mixie has Pitalik and the Magic Lamp. I have little patience for Mixie S. Pitalik, but I'll look for a bright side. It was cool that he made himself look like a genie. And funny that he could barely bring himself to act like a genie. And it was a nice touch to Benny, having stolen the crown jewels, wore the crown for the rest of the episode. The Shrinking Super Friends. Personally, I can never get enough of shrinking, so every time they go to that well is fine. I did wonder if uh, Dave and Ronnie Raymond meant that he wouldn't need Zan and Jaina, especially Zan. I think you said in the first episode of Super Friends that the boy wonder is all the junior super friend you need. Still, they acquitted themselves well here. You have to pull your game up facing a real supervillain without the superheroes to fall back on. Lex has a great new ship, and we get different views of it. I'm still waiting for Darkseid's ship to be drawn from a different angle. When Lex stoops down to collect his Hall of Justice playset, he seems to either be snapping it off at its concrete foundations or uprooting it. 
Dirt is flaking from the bottom, but where it used to be, it's still paved in large rectangular stones. One funny note is that Gleek runs away from the tiger in an exercise wheel, but this is in the cage that lets Shrank put the tiger. So one of the things Luthor has built is an exercise wheel capable of supporting a full-grown tiger. The Mask of Mystery. Another kid hero. This one looks like Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog rolled together. And I guess that's a fat joke. I thought your, I thought your head would explode. You looked at it more kindly than I would have thought. The clip you played from the end of the case, the way Superman asked, Are you alright, Captain Mystery? It's just the way any kid with a towel tied around his neck would want to hear it. Luthor doesn't have the ship from the previous story, but a heavy-looking helicopter. Shouldn't Luthor have a vehicle assortment to rival Batman's? He is not yet the billionaire businessman, but he is a super genius. Also looking forward to more of these episodes, Jack. Alright, so thank you, Jack, for writing in. Having watched uh, some of these episodes so long ago, I really don't have much to add to uh, Jack's comments, but... So I don't really have an answer to his question about Lex's powers in the No Honor Among Thieves episode. Uh, Maybe... uh, he can only activate one power at a time. Maybe uh, once he took Superman's powers, he didn't have Wonder Woman's or something. I don't know. Maybe, I guess that's one way you can look at it. Maybe he can only use one set of powers at a time, and he can only retain the last powers he uh, collected. Maybe it's not a cumulative thing. That's kind of the best I got. <laughs> I'm right with you on Mixias Pitalik and the Magic Lamp. Mixias Pitalik, I'm worn out on him. Should really get Dave and uh, Jack here in a conversation on the Shrinking Super Friends, though. While Dave is tired of the trope, uh, Jack can't get enough of it, so uh, that would be an interesting debate, don't you think? And I do remember making a comment that saying uh, Robin is all the Junior Super Friends you need, but you know, even other Super the Junior Super Friends have to uh, have their day. <laughs> and I loved uh, Jack's comment about Lexa scooping down to collect his Hall of Justice playset. Th- basically, when uh, it's that small, all it is is the playset to him. So. Yeah, and I didn't think about the uh, the exercise uh, wheel with, for the full-grown tiger. And the Master Mystery, uh, you thought my head would explode? I don't remember hating that episode. I know there was one episode that I just that drove me nuts, but I, was it this one? Uh, but I guess not, if I was more kindly on it than uh, Jack would have thought. So, I really don't have much to uh, add to Jack's uh, comments. Yes, Lex Luthor may not be the billionaire, but he is a super genius, but I guess he doesn't have time to uh, create all of... Uh, these vehicles between prison stents. And let's be honest, uh, Lex Luthor, for the most part, is probably looking at a pretty much a net loss. Because, I mean, he'll build a $3 million robot to uh, rob $200,000 from a bank. So, I question his uh, business plan, to say the least. So, that is all the feedback I've got for this episode. You, too, can send in your feedback. Manascreen at gmail.com. So right now, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back with the first episode of Superboy, The Jewel of Techakal. Hang around, folks. My name is Bob Fisher. And I'm the host of the Superman Forever Radio Podcast. On the Superman Forever Radio Podcast, I talk about Superman from 1938 to present day. And in 2018, we celebrate the 80th anniversary of the Man of Steel's first appearance in Action Comics with a full year of new episodes, more episodes, plus new features like The Adventures of Superman When He Was a Boy. Superboy is coming to the Superman Forever radio podcast. Also, the Superman Forever Roundtable Discussion Group, where I gather together some of the best Superman podcasters around, and we talk Superman. So if you want to know why I've been a Superman fan for over 60 years, point your favorite podcatcher to the Superman Forever radio podcast at supermanforever.com. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to start off my coverage of Superboy with The Jewel of Techakal. Original broadcast date was October 8th, 1988. Guest cast includes Peter White as Professor Thomas Lang, Michael Mano as Leo, Greg Todd Davis as Gerald Haynes, Forrest Neal as Dean Thompson, and Bob Barnes as Dr. Spencer. This episode was written by Fred Friedberger and directed by Reza Badiai. I think that's how you say his name, I hope, or Badi-Yi. I don't know. Let's go with Badi-Yi. 
And uh, our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. We are introduced to Professor Thomas Lang, a prominent archaeologist whose life's work has, has estranged him from his family and caused a rift between he and his daughter Lana. Some dumb old dirt and he'd find in a dig always meant more to him than I did. Why do you say that? Same with my mom. Ancient ruins, that's what intrigued him. She stood it for ten years before she divorced him. Lana, every museum in the whole country wanted this exhibit and he, he, he came to Schuster so he could be with you. Guilt. Spasm of guilt, which he'll get over the moment he's off on another two-year jaunt into history. Why don't you give him a break? I gotta face it, Clark. Don't you understand? I'm just a little footnote in his grand scheme of things. Lana, he loves you. Yeah. Right. Lang has chosen Schuster University, where Lana goes to college, to display his latest find, the jewel of Techakal, because he wants to reacquaint himself with his daughter. Lana is continually unwilling to accept her father's attempts at affection and instead spurns him almost immediately because he pays too much attention to his work and not enough to her. Meanwhile, Lex and his henchman Leo scheme to steal some of the priceless artifacts the professor has brought to display. Lex begins his plot by seemingly sabotaging Professor Lang's plane to which Superboy must intervene and rescue, and he goes on to pilfer the artifacts, including the jewel, which has a strange curse-like powers. Professor Lang has been attacked by the jewel and is in the hospital dying of an unknown ailment. Daddy? Lana. Daddy, just try to talk. No, because I wanted you to know all those birthday parties that I missed and all the Christmases that I wasn't with you. Daddy, just rest, please. No, but I... I made it to your high school graduation. <laughs> yeah. It's wonderful. I haven't been a very good father. No, I know that, but... I was going to make it up to you. Danny? Danny, please don't die. Danny? Doctor? Doctor! Superboy, who tries to stop Lex from stealing the jewel. Lex. Ah, the one they call Superboy. Why am I not surprised to find you here, Lex? Could it be because you always have your greedy paws where they don't belong? Well put, Superboy. And might I add, we have here a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Oh, what would that be, Lex? If we pooled our talents, think of the heights we could climb. Think of the depths we'd reach. What's in the box, Lex? You surprised me. Surely a super person like yourself can see into a little old lead box. Conversation ended. I'll take the box. Are you refusing my offer to merge? You're quick, Lex. Out of my way, super boy. Permission granted. Tetsuko got you? Lex, let's get out of here. Why hurry, Leo? Think of the fun we're all having. Right? <laughs> Superboy? <laughs> Leo, I do believe our hero is passed out. Well, what if that thing turns on us? Now that's a thought, Leo. is knocked unconscious when he takes it from Lex, and Lex gets away. When Superboy awakens, he tracks down Lex and Leo, who are escaping in Leo's sister's Ford Mustang, and has them arrested. In the end, Superboy flies the jewel back where it came from, Lana's father is miraculously cured, and the Langs make up, and all is well at Schuster. He's recovering. I don't know how it happened, but it's happening. Thank you, Doctor. (laughs) 
I never thought I'd see you again. It's a miracle, isn't it? No, Daddy. It's Superboy. He's <laughs> 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 going to be all right. Oh, thank heavens. Uh, Mr. Haynes, if you could help me uh, complete my records. Yeah. Hey, hey, Superboy does it again, huh? Superboy, maybe. What do you mean, maybe? He returned the jewel, didn't he? Got rid of the uh, curse. Saved Professor Lang. I love it, did. I like to think that love is a little stronger than magic or a curse or whatever. <laughs> well, my money's still with Superboy. And speaking of Superboy, how about letting me in on just how you get in contact with him? I mean, in case I see you a building about to fall on some little old lady or something, and you're not around to send him a flare? Sure, do what I do. Uh -huh. Look in the yellow pages under S. <laughs> All right, so that's the first episode of Superboy. Almost like a very late season George Reeves Adventures of Superman episode where scientists brings thing brings object to back, object causes a bunch of trouble, object gets sent home and Superman takes care of business or Superboy in this case. Oh boy, how many times am I going to do that during the course of this coverage? So just a little bit about the opening sequence since this is the uh, first uh, episode of the series. It is extremely low budget and it shows. It is clear, if you know what you're looking for, that the Superboy is flying in front of a either a blue screen or a rear projection. And he's just flying over uh, the bay. You see the St. Petersburg Bridge. That low budgetness and Superboy flying is something that's going to be very prevalent through the episodes I've watched so far. So, uh, like the synopsis said, we start with Professor Lang in an airplane. And uh, Clark is talking to uh, the dean for the school newspaper, the aforementioned Schuster Herald. And uh, Lex Luthor is here as well. He's being uh, appropriately smarmy. And uh, Scott Wells is kind of dressed as a... Looks like a frat boy almost. And uh, I don't know. It's just not a look I really associate with Lex Luthor. You know, you think... Uh, when you think of Luthor, you think either his uh, power armor or in the more recent incarnation, the business suit. Hard to imagine uh, Lex Luthor looking like a preppy frat boy. So uh, it's been... Uh, according to some of the dialogue, it's been two years since Lana has seen her father. And uh, he's coming in. She's not excited about him coming in, to say the least. And we get an exterior shot of the plane, which is very low budget. A lot of these uh, flying scenes are going to be clearly in front of some kind of either rear projection or blue screen. So as the plane is about to uh, crash because its uh, landing gear is malfunctioning, Lana is hiding in Clark's shoulder. You know, she's showing that she's you know, doesn't want to look and is frightened, but I don't know if... Uh, one of my parents was about to plunge to their death in an airplane right in front of me. I might be a little more hysterical. But maybe that's the estrangement there. Maybe. I don't know. You would think no matter how much estrangement there is, she'd have more of a reaction to this than just that. So uh, Clark is trying to get away because he needs to do his thing. So he just kind of uh, pawns Alana off on his roommate. That's uh, that's TJ White, who we're seeing for the first time. Uh, we don't get a shirt rip. Uh, we'll keep score until the first time we actually get one. And... Uh, Clark changes up behind some kind of trailer, and uh, Superboy uh, flies after the plane. And all he does is lower the wheel uh, so it, the plane can land. I guess that's all the show can afford. Even uh, the Adventures of Superman showed uh, him trying to carry a plane in a little bit better. I don't remember what episode it was. I wish I did. But mainly what it entailed was uh, Superman, a close-up on George Reeves and him bringing the plane in. So as the plane uh, comes down, Luthor makes a comment that you can't win them all, so that... Uh, that leads us to believe that he uh, somehow he has sabotaged uh, Professor Lang's plane. So Lana says that she hasn't seen her father in two years, but they're acting as though it's been longer. It's unclear how old she is. So, or and it's also unclear the uh, stretch of time uh, over which this show takes place. I mean, the final episode, the rite of passage, is on Clark's twentieth. Well, I guess that's something we'll get to when we get to the episode. It's not, I don't actually know how old Clark was when he landed at the Kents. Just that that the fi the final episode of this show is 20 years after Clark was found. So that doesn't necessarily mean that Clark is 20. But that is a conversation for well down the road. Probably about a year from now. But the bottom line is if she's 18 here, well, well two years is a long time. She probably wouldn't look that different between 16 and 18. But... Clearly, 
Professor Lang is one of those people who puts his work before his family, as you know, a lot do, unfortunately. And uh, Lana is resigned, and she's used to it. She's uh, not going to put herself out there. She's not going to invest herself in that relationship if she's going to get hurt again. And to be totally honest, who can blame her? So while all that is going on, Luthor is speculating that the jewel could be worth a million bucks, which in 2019 money doesn't seem like a lot, but eh, it is in 1988, and still is now too, but it just, uh, you know, at some point all of the the characters uh, in comics that were millionaires, you know, guys like Bruce Wayne and Mar- Tony Stark, you know, they're all billionaires now. And I do remember, I think it was one of the Arkham games, I just want to say Arkham City, is that Vicky Vale introduces Bruce Wayne as a millionaire, and he says something to the extent of, not billionaire, millionaire or so yesterday or something like that. So anyway, back to Lana and Clark. Lana tells Clark that his uh, that Professor Lang's digs are more important to him than she is, and uh, you know Clark is uh, trying to put a positive spin on it. He's uh, beating down the point that Professor Lang brought the uh, jewel to Schuster so he can be with her, and. Uh, Clark is suggesting giving him a break, trying to, uh, you know, Clark is who he is. He's going to uh, try to rescue this relationship as best he can, if he can. But Lana doesn't want to hear it. And again, I don't blame her. So Clark's plan is to fix the relationship with TJ's help. So now we're in the room with the artifact and uh, there's some kind of giant windstorm and half the ceiling beams collapse. Clark uh, protects the uh, professor's assistant, Gerald. And he manages to do that without revealing his, his identity, so good for him. And apparently uh, when they were in, I guess, South America or wherever they got this jewel from, they were warned about a curse for taking the jewel of Techacal. Did you see that beam? That could have that been a serious accident. It was no accident. It was a tornado, Gerald. It's a season for them in this area. We were warned when we took the jewel. We desecrated the temple of Techacal. What we did adds to the world's knowledge. We should return the jewel. You need a rest, Gerald. You're tired. Come on. Come on. So, here we go. We got an ancient jewel and an ancient curse. All the makings of, a, of an Indiana Jones movie. But Professor Lang is no indie. So, uh, Pro- Professor Lang's uh, comment to all, response to all this is that it was a tornado. But, you know, they're in Florida. I, you'd think they'd be more in danger of hurricanes than tornadoes. But I guess uh, the Sunshine State will get a tornado from time to time. Hear more about hurricanes in that area than uh, tornadoes, though. So, after all this is over, uh, Professor Lang is uh, chasing Lana. But she's uh, rolling her eyes, as most teenagers do in uh, that situation. But... In this case, she is protecting herself from yet more disappointment. Anna! Anna, there you are! I've left messages for you everywhere at your dorm, at the coffee shop, with your friends. I got them off. Anna, your mother forgave me. Why can't you? I do. It's just every time I see you and every time I'm let down again. I want to make it up to you. Why do you think I came to Schuster? I don't know. Why did you? open up lines of communication. Why don't give me a chance? I want to spend a lot of time with you. I want to make up for all the lost time. Unless somebody discovers a lost temple that needs your expert supervision? That's not fair. Let me prove it to you. All right. Let's talk it over for dinner tonight. I can't. Not, not dinner tonight, Lana. I... Lana, the tornado, it caused such havoc and... Network Television is doing a feature on the exhibit, and Gerald and I have to be there every minute from now on just to repair the damage, but then I'm free. Daddy, you shouldn't have had a daughter. You should have just had another relic. Lana, come to the interview with me. Right after that, we'll go anywhere. Just the two of us, and we'll talk for hours. We'll talk for days if you want. Lana, I love you so much. I doubt it. Nothing will stop us. I promise. Drive, Leo. 
this, uh, you know, right off the bat, is a very good episode for Lana. He's uh, confirming what Clark said and uh, that he did it for Lana, and, uh, you know, she is skeptical. You know, this is uh, years of uh, neglect uh, that's basically coming home to roost here. So she suggests dinner, but he can't because he has to work, and, you know, here we go. Professor Lang is saying one thing, but on the other hand, his actions are doing the exact opposite. His actions are sending the opposite message, so, you know, Lana's getting mixed signals, and, well, the only signal she's going to read is that her brain telling her, this isn't worth it. This isn't worth it to keep putting yourself out there to uh, to your father and constantly getting uh, pushed aside uh, in favor of these artifacts. You know, all of her reactions to this are very believable and understandable. You know, why open yourself to a mountain of hurt if you can avoid it? So while they're talking, uh, Lex is watching. He is clearly looking for a way to use this to his advantage. For some reason, the uh, professor thinks things are going to be okay with Lana. I don't see how he sees that, but I am sure right here passing out isn't going to help his case much. So here comes the ER doctor, and uh, he has uh, no good news at all. I wish I could give you some good news, but uh, we've never experienced anything like this. Titch a call. It's not going to... His vital signs are very weak. His pressure is low. We can't seem to raise it. And his heart. There's no signs of damage, but we're getting very little response. We've got to help him. Well, we'll run more tests. Dr. Spencer. Dr. Paul Spencer, please. We're doing everything we can, Miss Lang. Not everything. The jewel of Techacall. Do, do you really believe in this stuff, Mr. It should have been returned. Only Superboy were here. Where's the temple? Even if you could find it, it'd be too late. Not for Superboy. I, I might know how to get a hold of him. The professor's vitals are weak, and Gerald points to Techacall. And, uh,. The doctor gives uh, Lana some empty words of encouragement, as doctors do when the situation is going to crap. So Clark is going to leave, and he's going to find the temple as Superboy. So meanwhile, while the professor is too busy dying to watch over his uh, collection, Lex is trying to plunder it. Lex the pirate. And here is uh, when Superboy shows up. And I really like that image of Superboy standing kind of in the hallway with his hands on his hips. John Hames Newton isn't bad as Superboy. I'm used to Gerard Christopher in this role, but, you know, Newton is uh, doing the job well enough. It's uh, going to take me uh, some getting used to uh, seeing uh, Newton in this role. Probably by the time I get used to seeing uh, Newton in the role, it'll probably bounce over to Gerard Christopher. So Superboy knows Lex Luthor, but then Luthor refers to him as the one called Superboy. So is this that meeting for the first time? I don't know. There's only one episode that I know for sure. And honestly, these episodes can be watched in any order, except for the, and this is something I'll talk about in a few weeks, episode five, Countdown to Nowhere, which is clearly the first appearance of Superboy. But again, more on that in a few episodes. If Countdown is the first episode, this could just as easily be the second. So maybe this is the uh, first time Lex and Superboy are meeting. But I guess Superboy would know him just uh, because of Clark. So Superboy takes the box and the jewel does something to him. It appears to be choking him. This is when you get your, when Superboy's laying on the ground uh, in pain, you get your first look at, good look at the costume. It looks okay on a TV budget. Probably looks as well as the uh, George Reeves suit did on a TV at the time. It doesn't hold a candle to the Christopher Reeve costume, of course, but you can tell from the color scheme that is the suit they're doing their best to emulate. And you have to look closely at the, at the cape, but the cape looks like, definitely looks like a, an old Reeve cape. So, Superboy is down for the count, and Professor Lang is, uh, Feeling apologetic for all the times he uh, let Lana down. I guess he feels like he's dying and everything is becoming clear as he goes unconscious again. You know, seems though when you know people are dying uh, and they have a lot of regret, that's one of the things they see. And if this truly is Professor Lang's end, he, I guess he doesn't want to go into death with uh, something like that weighing on him. I still kind of feel like Lana should be a little more upset than she's showing. You know, I know she's angry with her father, but for all the years of neglect, but, I mean, 
I can't really speak. Neither of my parents have been struck down by a jewel they discovered in the uh, Amazon. So I have no idea how I'd react in a similar situation, but I don't know. It just seems like she'd be more upset than she's showing. So here we have Superboy's thoughts as he wakes up. Uh, he doesn't understand the power of the jewel, and uh, hearing a character's thoughts on TV, TV or in the movies is really not a device I'm fond of. Yeah, I know it's similar to a comic book thought bubble, but for some reason on TV, that doesn't always work. So here uh, here he comes, and it's clear that there's a lot of more uh, bad blue screen work here. And Although it is funny, a Superboy tries to pull legs over. The uh, Superboy on the screen in the back. And now we get a cop car coming as uh, Lex hit, runs into the traffic cones. And what happens next is kind of strange. Superboy just kind of waves his hands like he's using the force. And Lex runs over a fruit stand and into the water. How he didn't hit the guy running the fruit stand, I, I don't know. But Superboy just stands there while this guy uh, dives out of the way and uh, in his attempt to not become street pizza. And apparently this car that they're in is uh, Leo's sister's car. Because Leo is afraid of his sister's reaction when... He finds out when she finds out what Lex did to it. So Superboy caught them and he pulls the car out of the water and uh, the cop comes up and Superboy tells him about the uh, stolen artifacts. And uh, Lex will maneuver his way out of this as uh, Superboy uh, takes the jewel away. So I guess one thing we're going to see a, a lot of is Lex Luthor squirming his way out of trouble. And again, any more mystery to how long this Lex Luthor and Superboy have known each other. Superboy's comment of uh, not wanting to hang around to watch Lex uh, squirm his way out of this one. This That seems like he's familiar with Lex doing that. So that almost kind of says that they've had dealings aside from this one. Unless Superboy is just playing fast and loose with what he should know with his secret identity. I don't know. So now here's something interesting. Superboy goes to the street to take off. I guess uh, he couldn't take off from where he was for maybe for logistical reasons for the show. I don't know. Maybe they couldn't get the, the takeoff crane uh, into that area. So all of a sudden, Professor Lang is better, and uh, I love seeing the joy uh, between Clark and TJ about how they succeeded. You don't always see Clark giving somebody a high five, but I, I like seeing that here. It's the kind of thing uh, two 18-year-olds would do. So Superboy uh, returned the jewel, and that made everyone okay. Clark is now going to uh, extol the virtues of love, and uh, TJ wants to know how Clark gets in contact with Superboy, and he says, he looks in the yellow pages uh, under S, which is a joke that gave me indigestion. Just, ugh, awful. Not funny in the slightest. And uh, the way Haynes is looking at the camera, he's attempting to give us a George Reeves wink, but no one does the wink as well as George Reeves did. Nobody. And that's the end of that episode. It was an interesting choice for our first episode. The Superboy is clearly already established. And I mentioned before, it's out of sequence with... Episode 5, Countdown to Nowhere, the uh, first true appearance of Superboy. But this one was okay. It's corny, and the show is very low budget. But I know it gets better later on, seasons 3 and 4, but it will be interesting to explore this first season and the second season, which I haven't really seen. But getting to that point is uh, going to be interesting. So with this one episode behind this, I'm going to take a quick break, play another promo. Then I'm going to come back with A Kind of Princess. Hang around, folks. Take the Earth's mightiest heroes, each an invincible champion of justice, and band them together to assemble the legendary Justice League of America. For 261 issues and three annuals, the DC Universe was defended from threats on Earth and beyond by this legendary team. Operating from a cave in Happy Harbor to a satellite orbiting 22,300 miles above the Earth to... Uh, Detroit. Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast, will follow the league through all their evolutions. Please join your host, Mike Peacock, as I seek to cover all of the issues of the classic pre-crisis Justice League of America series. Through the magic of the JLA transporter, each issue will be randomized, with special episodes covering a complete story arc if needed. Along with the issue coverage, we shall also look at what the then-current members of the Justice League were up to in solo appearances in other comics for the JLA cover month issue. So do not hesitate to activate your JLA signal device for Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast on classicjla.podbean.com. 
www.thepodcastnetwork.com or by subscribing through iTunes. All right, welcome back, folks. Going to move right ahead to A Kind of Princess. It's a kind of princess. It's a kind of princess. No, I shouldn't do that. You're probably right. Original broadcast date was October 15th, 1988. Guest cast includes Ed Winter as Matt Danner, Julia McCullough as Sarah Danner, Antonio Carone as Jake, Stephen Anthony as Arnie, Harry Cup as Casey, Dennis Underwood as Bodyguard, Roger Preto as Detective Harris, Rebecca Pearl as Nancy, Dennis Michael as Henry Orman, and Paul Darby as The Cop. This episode was written by Howard Dimsdale and directed by Reza Badier. And our synopsis is brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Clark Kent is dating the daughter of a major crime syndicate boss. Both Clark and Sarah are oblivious to the fact that Sarah's dad is the syndicate boss and go about their courting expecting no complications. This changes rather quickly, though, when Clark, as Superboy, must rescue Sarah's father from an attempted assassination. Two men have set a bomb in an abandoned car and plan to trigger it. When the mob boss passes, but Superboy arrives just in time to push the boss's limo out of harm's way. Clark makes a quick change back to his reporter gear and attempts to interview the intended victim. Get Frank from lab to go through this. Right? And get these kids away from the fire, please. Detective Harris, can you spare a moment now? All right, kid, one question, but I'm busy. Okay, who's, who's Mr. Danner? You call yourself a reporter and you don't know who Matt Danner is? That's Matt Danner? He's headed one of the biggest crime syndicates on the East Coast. So what do you think about Sarah now? I'll let you know. I'll find out what crime syndicate she's head of. Later, at Sarah's birthday party, Clark is rethinking his involvement with the girl, and he brings up her father. Hey, guard. You never told me that your father is uh, Matt Danner. So, I never told you that Roz Danner is my mother. Or that Gloria, Lavinia, and Claire are my first cousins. I love my father and I'm proud of him. Paper paints a pretty grim picture of him. I call him head of a crime syndicate. You know what I think is criminal? It's people building a hydrogen bomb that can destroy the world. How about those creeps who are polluting our environment? Clark, my dad may bend the law every now and then, but what he does is nothing compared to the self-righteous, hypocritical politicians who rob us deaf, dumb, and blind. I don't know. You're a great attorney for the defense, but I have to think about it. The two students kiss, and while Sarah wants to go further, Clark tells her he has to go. After Clark is gone, one of the men who attempted to blow up her father arrives to kidnap Sarah after apparently attacking her bodyguard. We find out the bodyguard was in on the kidnapping when Superboy, who uses his X-ray vision to see the man's not really injured, flies him into the air and interrogates him by threatening to let him fall. Meanwhile, Mr. Casey, the rival crime boss who's been trying to harm Dana and was ultimately behind the kidnapping, calls Dana and commands him to hand the syndicate over unless he wants his daughter dead. Yes, this is Casey. I don't know what rock you're hiding under, but I'm going to find you. Don't count on it. If we're going to play hide-and-seek, you don't stand a chance. First, let me put your daughter on. Say hello to your daddy, Sarah. Daddy, please help me. Please help me. Thank you, Sarah. You're a dead man, Casey. Well, we all have to die sometime, Danner. Even the children we love. Danner refuses, saying Casey won't kill Sarah, because she's his bargaining chip. The bodyguard, under fear of bodily harm, leads Superboy to the yacht of Mr. Casey, who is holding Sarah strapped to a bomb. Superboy flies in to save the day, freezes the triggering device to Casey's hand before he can use it, and rescues Sarah. In the end, however, all is not well at Schuster. I wish you weren't leaving school. I need to get away and get my head straight. I'm gonna miss you. you're doing please leave us alone please sarah you can't leave me you left me first 
in the hands of a murderer, and if it wasn't for Superboy, I would have been dead. No, no, no. no. We, we, we would have made some arrangement sooner or later. Sooner or later? How comforting. I want you out of my life, Dad. Where... Where are you going? Someplace. Any place. Doesn't matter. Goodbye, Dad. didn't you? Yeah, I liked her. Did you guys, um, ever spend the night together? That's sick. What kind of question is that? It's very rude. I'm sorry. You don't have to answer it. I won't. But if you really want to know... No, I don't. Well, I'm going to tell you anyway. No. It never went beyond a passionate kiss. All right, so another episode with Dad putting his work before his daughter. Although uh, the relationship with uh, Sarah Dana and her father is quite different from the relationship with uh, Professor Lang and Lana, I'm not necessarily sure with that Sarah doesn't know what her father does, but she's uh, sticking by her dad uh, no matter what. So, so we start, this episode starts with Clark on a date. That's not something we see every day. Not the way anything uh, associated with Superman usually starts out. So uh, not uh, not far away from them is uh, Lana, who is uh, apparently quite jealous of Clark's relationship with this girl that we've never seen before. And listening to Sarah talk, she's got some interesting ideas. Apparently, uh, to be someone in this world, you have to uh, make people love you or hate you. There's uh, no room for any in-between. So that's uh, a strange philosophy. I'm not sure that's one I want to uh, necessarily uh, go with, but there's that. So uh, as TJ and Lana show up, uh, Sarah and Clark leave, and Clark sticks TJ with the bill. Does TJ have money that Clark doesn't? Seems like a very uh, un-Clark Kent-like thing to do, uh, to stick somebody with uh, your bill. So, of course, uh, as this is an episode of Superboy, Clark spots somebody uh, putting a bomb in a car, and... uh, Clark is lifting up his glasses to use his uh, vision powers, not unlike how Dean Cain will eventually lower his glasses, rather famously in Lois and Clark. This show kind of cheated as it went to commercial just before Superboy showed up, as Clark uh, seemed to have changed and over the commercial break, uh, he was Clark when he went into the black, and uh, we fade right into like, almost like in the middle of the action. I guess that's a way for the show to save money, trying to... Uh, not show Superboy super feats as much as it can. So Mr. Danner doesn't seem to know who Superboy is, so it's clear he's pretty new on the scene, and uh, the show is definitely skimping on effects where it can as Superboy runs away instead of flying away. So Clark shows back up, gets a rather curt statement from Danner, and uh, this detective here, Detective Harris, who Clark knows uh, through, uh, I guess, through his work at the uh, school paper, he's not taking the student newspaper very seriously, which is a shame, but usually... Uh, at least when I was on the school paper, we tended to uh, stay on campus pretty much. We didn't really cover the world outside. Granted, nothing like this was happening outside of the school I went to, but there was plenty for us to do on campus that we didn't uh, usually uh, cover off-campus stuff. So here we learn that uh, Clark is dating the uh, the crime boss's daughter. So that's enough to make you wonder if Clark Kent is uh, dating the bad girl, but maybe he is, maybe he's not, but... Uh, Lana thinks this will drive a wedge between Clark and Sarah, but it's not as uh, Clark is uh, pretty smitten. And to be totally honest, uh, why wouldn't you be? Sarah, as played by Julie McCullough, is absolutely uh, adorable here. Even if her ideas are a little uh, off the reservation. So apparently uh, the rival crime boss named uh, Casey is at the Danner. So now Danner wants Casey dead. Casey wants Danner dead. Everybody wants everyone dead. So here we go. Well, everybody else is over there trying to contemplate everybody else's death. Let's go here to the dance, to the birthday dance party, where Lana is attending, dancing uh, with some piece of 80s beefcake. And uh, Clark uh, talks to Sarah about her father, and uh, 
she seems to be okay with what her father does. Uh, I don't see anything here that indicates she doesn't know what her father does. I mean, obviously she knows the rumors, but if she knows what her father does, it's probably all she knows. So she just thinks uh, that's dad at work. I mean, Clark is a bit of a square compared to this girl, and uh, Clark is a, a bit of a square anyway. You know, I don't know what she sees in him. Or what exactly Clark Kent, Kansas farm boy, sees in this spoiled brat. Which is what she is. She's uh, she's that rich girl that got everything she wanted. And uh, it it is clear that daddy gives her everything she she wants. And uh, at least within reason. Because we're going to get to a point in this episode where he's not going to give her anything. So I hear now uh, they're walking back. I guess this is her dorm room. And uh, Clark is going to give her the most awkward kiss ever. And uh, she's digging it. She uh, wants some more. And uh, here we go, Clark, uh, the super nerd, who's about to get some from this very, you know, pretty college co-ed, says when he gets passionate, he's an animal, and uh, kisses her gently and walks off. I guess he is uh, afraid of uh, what would happen if he were to lose control. I guess we're dealing with a whole uh, man of steel, or in this case, boy of steel, woman of Kleenex type thing, which, was that even written in 1988? I don't know. Yes, it was, 1969. By Larry Niven. So maybe the writers were thinking about that when uh, they wrote this scene. So Clark Kent, who had a great opportunity to get laid, passes up on it. F minus on uh, extra college, uh, extracurricular activities. So Clark puts the remains of the doorknob in the ashtray as he's, uh, I guess he's frustrated when it's his own fault. And uh, now uh, we see this big guy looking at the bodyguard. So we're not sure what to make of that, but we're guessing the big guy behind the bodyguard who's staring at this fat bodyguard like he's a piece of meat. We're meant to assume that he does something uh, dastardly to the bodyguard. So the next time we see him, he's talking to Detective Harris with a big bandage on his head. And uh, it's nice to know that as we're halfway through this episode, something is finally happening. Look, I'll tell you one more time. When I came to, I ran up to Sarah's room and she was gone. So I called Mr. Danner immediately. Then I drove myself to the hospital. I got my head stitched up and I went back to the hotel. So why didn't you call the police? I don't work for the police. I work for Mr. Danner. This is a police station, not a police state. What right do you have to detain my employee? What are the charges? Your daughter's been kidnapped and you're worrying about this punk? It's none of your business who I worry about. My daughter wasn't kidnapped. She ran away. We had a quarrel. It was her way of punishing me. She ran away. And she didn't even pack a suitcase. Didn't take her purse. Her credit cards, you know she was kidnapped. And I have a hunch you know who did it. Don't leave town, Danner. You can reach me at the Peabody. There's been 10 minutes of uh, teen college romance, and now we're finally getting to the uh, superhero portion of our show. So Danner is saying his daughter ran away, but she didn't take anything with her. So, uh, And Danner, obviously, for is not cooperating with the police. I love how uh, Danner says his daughter ran away. She's like, nope, she didn't take her purse. She didn't take, nowadays, they say she didn't take her phone, but cell phones weren't a thing in 1988. But she didn't take any of the things that normally she would take if she were running away. So uh, Harris Clark trying to talk to Mr. Danner. And uh, now Danner doesn't know Superboy at all. He can't abide the idea that Superboy saves someone because it's the right thing to do. He thinks Superboy must have felt as though he owed Danner something or... Because he says, I don't know why he helped me. I, I don't. I didn't do anything for him. So that's the kind of people Danner uh, deals with. He deals only with, he knows people who need something or want something. And uh, that's kind of the currency that's traded in his line of work. And he asks Clark an interesting question. Is ripping a man's heart out more painful than cutting his throat? How is Clark supposed to answer that? And gentlemen, those of you who are still of dating age, if your girlfriend's father leads, asks you this question, Maybe it's time to move on. Somebody who thinks of these questions is probably not someone whose daughter you want to be involved with. Because you might be the one finding out if ripping your heart out is more painful than having your throat cut. Just saying. So Danner wants Superboy to find Casey. And it's interesting the way he words that. He wants Casey found and not his daughter. So while this is happening, Clark uh, looks through the bodyguard's bandage. And uh, if we find out that he has no wound underneath his bandage, so... That makes it clear he's on, in on the kidnapping. And uh, Clark was prompted to look in on the bandage as uh, Danner uh, became suspicious of the bodyguard who checking his watch all the time. 
So Casey has Sarah on a yacht with a bomb strapped to her life jacket. And then now we get our final Superboy sequence as Clark uh, chases the bodyguard into an elevator. And this quickly becomes a job for Superboy. No shirt rip yet. And uh, Superboy goes after the bodyguard. And uh, Superboy doesn't really play nice here. He's uh, kind of rough with this guy. And uh, I kind of laugh when he uh, turns the bodyguard upside down and his bandage fell off. So Superboy has some interesting uh, interrogation techniques. He keeps threatening to drop the bodyguard unless he uh, gets him to lead Superboy to Casey. And eventually uh, they do. And not too far off, these two sheriff's deputies uh, drop their hot dogs when they see Superboy flying overhead. I'm sure Superboy would have uh, let them finish their hot dogs. He's not going anywhere. And apparently these two cops are in such a hurry to chase Superboy that they crash into a light pole. They're either shocked or went into food coma. One of the two. But meanwhile, Casey's on the phone with Danner, and this is one hell of a long phone call as these two mob bosses trash talk each other. This is when uh, Daughter finds out what's really important to Daddy Dearest. Matt Danner is going to preserve his crime syndicate and risk his daughter's life. And we're going to find out at the end she's not going to have it. But before we find out whether or not she's going to have it or not, Superboy shows up and uh, Casey's henchman bail. Casey says, tell Superboy to freeze, leading to all kinds of bad jokes. And prompting Superboy to freeze the detonator to uh, Casey's hand as he saves Sarah. And uh, I'm sure Casey's going to have a nasty case of frostbite when that's done. So Superboy saves Sarah. Apparently, uh, the police uh, know Superboy. And these guys have recovered quickly from crashing into the light pole. So these criminals must be out of town because they don't know, they don't know Superboy. At least the cops do. So now Sarah is going to do what all guest stars do after an ordeal like this. She's going to drop out of school and go on a soul-searching mission where we're never going to hear, for, see, or hear from her again. Danner, meanwhile, is trying to justify his actions, but she's not buying it. And uh, she's off, leaving college, uh, Clark, and everyone else, and this guest appearance behind. So that leaves Clark and Lana, and, for, and Lana flat-out asks Clark if he slept with Sarah. Clark says no after... Uh, an awkward uh, back and forth between Clark and Lana, saying, uh, Lana says she doesn't want to know. Clark tells her anyway. Ugh, it's just very awkward back and forth. But Clark saying no, and that earns Clark a peck on the cheek from Lana and a hug. And I don't actually know the relationship with Clark and Lana goes anywhere in this show. I don't think it does. I know there are times when Lana and Superboy will kiss, but not Lana and Clark. So, but she doesn't want him seeing anyone else. So, I don't know. Part of me wishes they'd done a little bit more with, uh, the Lana and Clark relationship, but this is not the kind of show it was, nor was that really the kind of thing that you would do on a superhero show at that time. I do wonder if Clark uh, would have told her if he had. Something to think about right there. So this episode moved pretty fast. All the college partying and relationship stuff took up half the episode, and uh, she wasn't kidnapped until about 10 minutes were left. The acting was very 80s soap opera-ish. Flying effects continued to look cheap. But the biggest problem... We're not invested in this relationship at all. She's the love interest of the weekend. I think if this show were made today, Clark may have dated her for at least a few episodes before we get to this. I mean, you needed half of this episode to establish the relationship to show that Clark cares at the end. Nowadays, you'd see this over an episode or two. You can get right to it and not waste half your episode on setup. But she leaves, and I'm kind of like, uh, who cares? And we move on to the next episode, which will be in... Two weeks. As next time, we go back to Ruby Spears with the Superman story, Big Scoop, and the Ken Family album story, Overnight with the Scouts, and the Superman story, Triple Play, and the Ken Family album story, The Circus. Until then, feedback is always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Manascreen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. Until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Spring Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www. TwoTrueFreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.